for November 5th, 2012. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 227, For Lighting Your Friends. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. We are your Hurricane Sandy and presidential election and iPhone 5 and iPad mini (laughs) news podcast. We are here to discuss uh, gender politics and race relations and the posting of questionably legal photographs on Reddit and... (laughs) Don't forget piracy. Oh, man. Piracy. The attack on our embassy in Benghazi. Not embassy, consulate. Yes, we are here to just do every hot button um, because we're turning over a new leaf on the Overthinking (laughs) It podcast. It's been a long time. But more on that, more on that long time later. It's a small panel tonight. The dynamic trio of Fenzel, Lee, and Matt. Uh, You know, the stalwarts. We few, we happy few, we band. Band of brothers. Of brothers. Brothers, right, because we um, – it actually was St. Crispin's Day uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and you may have noticed that on uh, our Twitter, at Overthinking It, on our Twitter feed. So, um, But today was another momentous occasion in all of our lives. Today was the day that American Daylight Savings Time ended for 2012, and we all rolled our clocks back one hour, gaining an hour of sleep. I actually woke up awfully early in the morning, suspiciously well-rested, and I thought, what the hell is going on? Have I discovered, like, superpower of sleep? Did I just, like, uh, I must not have stayed up late or done any drinking the night before. And then I thought, well, no, that's not true. Uh, Yeah, I haven't taken up clean living. Ah, I got an extra hour of sleep. It occurred to me later as I was uh, making some coffee and the clock on the microwave uh, was an hour off from the clock on my cell phone. So, in honor of this momentous day, what would you like one more of? You got (laughs) one more hour of sleep tonight. What thing, what unit, what uh, capacity or amount in your life would you like to increase by one? Pete Fenzel, I'm going to drink my Trader Joe's (laughs) box of wine uh, in its entirety. I'm just going to open the spigot, uh, stand (laughs) under it, because our long national nightmare is over. The drought... Um, of Fenzel primacy has come to an end. You are first in the alphabet. And in honor of this momentous occasion, I'm going to give you one more of anything you like. What is it? <laughs> well, first of all, I, I hope that you get the, uh, the what is it, Saline Joe's IV bag that they sell. Uh, it's artisanal. <laughs> I'm going to say that I want one more season. Uh, we've had four seasons for a while. I mean, I live in a temperate area. You know, I live in New England, and we definitely – I mean, we, we have the four seasons, and they kind of uh, – it's sort of like uh, like Skrillex got to them sometimes, <laughs> right? Like you think you're going along with summer, and it's, it's going really intense, and then like here's the drop, right? And you plunge into winter briefly, but then you come back up into fall, and it zigs and it zags. But I don't mean like I want the seasons to change one more time. We've had these seasons – I remember when I was a kid and, and how discovering the seasons and the numeration of the seasons was like this big – thing I'm, I'm a little bit over that and i'd love it if there was a season that just did something entirely different like a season where there was just like all birds 
right? Just like birds all the time, or like butterflies or something. And it's like for for three weeks, it's just like, oh, this is the season where everything is flying, you know? Or like this is the season where like the precipitate is is like uh, in a solid state, but is also like not necessarily cold. Not like in an ice nine kind of way that destroys the earth, <laughs> but like I don't know, you know, like uh, like if there's a season where the leaves fall, maybe there's a season where like the leaves like uh, like grow up into new plants uh, at a super fast rate or something. I don't know. Uh, the uh, the phenomena of shifting of the of the seasons and that rhythm. I'd love to take it into into five. Just like any good arrangement of the Mission Impossible theme, uh, four feels reductive. It's got to be five. Gotta be five the um, Pete, I, this is going to cause a lot of problems, though, right? Like we can't resurrect Vivaldi, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and that whole hotel chain. No one's going to know what they're talking about. Yeah, Frank, exactly. well, we, <laughs> we, I think, can't, we, we can't add it? another member to Frankie Valley's band, right? No, it's true. That's true. That's true. Is there a thing? I'm going to I'm going to Google five seasons and see who would benefit. Uh, the Five Seasons Brewing Company in Atlanta, Georgia, actually, as well as Five Seasons Sports Club, which appears to have racquetball and fitness program, aqua fitness programs. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Dayton, Dayton's Five Seasons, Cincinnati. So, yeah, so the main, the main, uh, the main beneficiaries of this would be uh, Ohio area gym chains, which for some reason are called Five Seasons. Uh, yeah. Well, that so, is but, that is our target demo, sir. Well, you know, this is the presidential election week, and there's always going to be winners and losers whenever there's a big change, so we should talk incessantly about it before it happens. So, <laughs> but we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. Pete, I, I, I think you can agree that whatever happens on Tuesday, someone will be elected president of the United States. Actually, any- actually that, that may not be the case. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, it's like any given Tuesday, someone is going to win and someone is going to lose, or else it's going to be a prolonged legal battle. <laughs> That'd be unclear. So, yeah. I mean, honestly, though, even if just be, it's not necessarily true that the person who uh, becomes president uh, or is president necessarily wins. <laughs> you know, it's like, what have I done to myself? Yeah. What is happening to my life? Right. I have to um, do this now. Mark Lee, what can I give you one more of, sir? There, there are so many things. Where do I start? An extra uh, season of Community, uh, a new term, another Terminator movie. Oh, I hear you. I've got a, um, uh, another FEMA truck for my uh, a horribly ravaged uh, city of New York City. Oh, no. Those other sounds will be, we'll talk about that later. But no, I really want to, let's, let's, let's uh, break it down a little bit here. Uh, let's have some real talk here. Um, you know, most sitcoms have an A plot and a B plot. I would like another storyline to follow that also, you know, still manages to come back together and clench it all at the end. So, um, you know, a, a C plot. Is that too much to ask for? Not on community. No. It's not. You good, dude. C cloud Atlas. You, your cup runneth over. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, I didn't say just, you know, another plot. I meant another, <laughs> another plot that, um, that, uh, not even other another plot that uh, what you know is uh, same actors in in uh, different characters in different times that are also different ethnicities. Um, you know they, they could be different characters, but I'll just want it all to come together nicely and wrap up uh, wrap up at the end. Uh, just on the subject of a plots and b plots in Thirty Rock and uh, and their um, ability to to come together with something satisfying at the end. Um, it, it doesn't always do that, right? It doesn't always quite stick that landing. Um, every once in a while it will. And those are the sublime moments that I want more of. Um, and I feel like not, not only do I want more of those, I want a C plot to also come in, 
come into and, and clench it all together as well. Not, not come to wait. You, the sublime moments are the ones where things don't come together. Or no, they, do come, they do come together, oh, and there's not that yeah. many of them. I want more of those, and I also I'm, I'm greedy, right? I also I want that other FEMA truck, and I also want um, that C plot to come in and clench everything together. You know, we, we talked about winners and losers, and I think the biggest winner from this new proposition is got to be uh, Uncle Joey. Uh, Dave, Dave Coulier and Full, Full House. Because you have a lot, you have a lot more to do. Like, it's like okay, so DJ's walked around the table by accident and married the Greek guy, and Jesse is getting to know his grandfather, and Joey is at the go kart place. You know, like a Joey. It's just like Joey wandering around San Francisco, getting in various types of trouble. Pete, were those things you mentioned? Were they actual plot, plot points? Oh yeah, no. There, there was a particular story arc at Full House where, uh, where like Jesse, Uncle Jesse's Greek family comes to San Francisco, and and DJ Tanner has a shining for one of the Greek boys, not in the sort of Jack Nicholson kind of way, more in the kind of like uh, she takes she so, takes a shine to she takes a shine to him. Not she takes she not like here's DJ, you know, like um. So that they, would be a superior show in many respects. Yeah, that would that would, whatever happened to predictability, um, and then they walk. <laughs> they walk <on> table. <laughs> you got it, dude. <laughs> um, and they walk around a table uh, holding flowers, and then it's revealed that this means that they're married. And then they like panic. <laughs> Full, Full House, great. one of the many, many uh, television shows that c- seem to exist to convince us that mothers are not necessary. <laughs> oh man, I don't even want to touch that. I guess. I guess we, I mean, what it's other okay shows? when we do so, our so when, goes the war on the, uh, the the assault on traditional family values, huh? <laughs> I blame Charles Dickens for all his orphans that are doing so much better than people with parents. Right? Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. Exactly. It's like, oh look, damn you, pimp! You want? Yeah. You want? You want to? You want to protect tr- conventional families? Like, ban Oliver Twist. That's what you got to do. Okay, stop people from hoping that they have a life if they don't have a. You know. I don't even know. I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like tempted to just say like really controversial things for no reason at this point because the news cycle has just so fried my sensibilities and my like uh, level of of uh, uh, you know sense and sensibility, as it were. Mm. I don't know. That's I, another trouble. So I, I, and this this will be quick compared to the last two, but I would like one more socially sanctioned meal in the day. <laughs> <laughs> you want Taco Bell's fourth meal? And since sensibility is Jane Austen, I'm an idiot, but it's not Charles Dickens. But yeah, so you want fourth meal where it's like, Jesus. No, no, our, our group of friends has long ago coined the uh, the phrase dinner two. Right. Um, for this exact uh, thing, Matt. But dinner two, I don't know. I learned dinner two from Sheely, and it was, you know, we would have like, I don't know, six pounds of ramen at Momofuku or something, and then like wander around, uh, wander around the East Village a little more, and like just go to another restaurant. So it wasn't like a fourth meal period, but dinner two I thought was more an extension of the the meal period. So that why why confine yourself right to one restaurant for dinner? You uh, y- you know you can move, you can sort of restaurant hop, eating a full meal um, at each place, and Chile could manage this because he has a parasite from Africa. But, uh, <laughs> well, the other thing he does is that, which I think is kind of smart, is uh, you know, he, he and his fiancée will often order one dinner at a restaurant. 
uh, and we'll share it. They're both diminutive, uh, they, you know, so they, they don't need much sustenance to, to live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. The Onion had an article about this this past week, which was that America now has just one meal, and it's called meal. And it, <laughs> and it starts when you wake up in the morning, and it ends when the food runs out. <laughs> Except the food never runs out because we, we produce like 3,700 calories per citizen or something in America. Oh, oh, well, it so runs out bad. if you don't get that extra FEMA truck. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's all food. You know, gosh. Speaking speaking of which, uh, you know, Mark, I know you're in the New York. Uh, How how are things? That's that's a simple question to answer, Matt. And they're just fine. That's oh great, good to know. Moving right along. (laughs) Okay, so overthinking at podcast listeners, I know you don't. Tune into this. You didn't tune into this podcast expecting like late breaking news on a Hurricane Sandy relief in New York City, ravaged by storm. Um, yeah, right. You might have tuned in to hear us mock that uh, late breaking news of Hurricane Sandy relief in our awesome announcer voice. Uh, but uh, you know, it's what? What can we say? It's inevitable. Right? We sort of had to talk about it just because it was such a big freaking deal. Here in New York City. Um, it affected you personally. It is, it is quite an effect. Okay, so um, the overthinkers in the New York City area, you would, you'll be happy to know that we all pulled through fine. Just like maybe a combined like one or two hours. I mean, like, okay, 12 hours or so of lack of electricity. I myself was not um, affected in, even in that way at all. Um, and so, like, you know, it's sort of – honestly, it sort of got worse as the days went on when we realized that it was more than sort of just – um, you know, a crazy amount of flooding and then the electricity being out um, just because um, the, the amount of human suffering, um, the, the, the discovery of the human suffering uh, picked up during uh, during the week and um, the the problems caused by the storm also picked up between the, the lack of gasoline and the um, continuing lack of electricity and the dipping of, of temperatures. Um, there's, there's just been, what can I say? There's been a lot to process. Um, it's been a very humbling, uh, a humbling week, um, considering that, you know, the, what I've been, um, largely unaffected and still have food and electricity, but stopping and thinking, oh, well, if, if that were me south of 34th street and without electricity for five days, um, would I have been okay? Well, the answer is probably yes, but not so much for the, um, for the 80 year old who's living on the 12th floor of a public housing high rise and can't get down right. the stairs um and and it, that's that's humbling and that's that's scary that's scary to think that like you know the people are in that situation and that you know what 60 years from now that could be uh, that could be me yeah no yeah i mean or, or sooner i mean but yeah it is it is it's daunting i mean i, I don't want to talk about it too much but i've been spending a lot of time this week doing business continuity related stuff for my job Right where it's like track down all of the people that work for you and make sure that everybody is okay and like make sure that if somebody who works for you is stuck in their apartment that you can go get them or find them or bring them water, you know, like setting up that kind of stuff. Um, there's a lot of different mechanisms that go into play, and uh, I mean it's funny because the, the issue of proximity, right? Like like you feel this more than you would feel a hurricane even in like North Carolina, <laughs> right? Because it's uh, it's that much closer. Right, but you know that's kind of funny that the uh, hitting it closer to sort of where you live in either a figurative sense. I mean, I would feel it in North Carolina too because I would also have to work on it for my job. But even up in Boston, we weren't really affected all that much. It was still scary, but uh, but we were pretty fine. But um, yeah, no, it just it did feel different. It did feel different, and it was it was harrowing. I would I would use that term harrowing. 
uh, harrowing as an experience. Yeah, and uh, we all seem to be having struggling to find the right words to talk about this in a way that's going to be interesting for people to listen to. Uh, but- we should just make up words and take fake pictures and, and then just make sure we get clicks. Click, click, ad impressions. Click, ad impressions. Here's a, <laughs> if you just they passed off still frames from the day after tomorrow as actual <laughs> news photos. <laughs> stop this podcast. Let's stop like, you know, trying to, to say interesting things about interesting subjects and just take screen caps of 2012 and troll the internet. <laughs> How to 149 astonishing ways Hurricane Sandy has impacted you without you knowing it <laughs> overthinking it i'm pretty sure that, that is that picture is not a 42nd street but is in fact from the mel gibson film apocalypto <laughs> i'm judging just from the number of mayans who are fleeing to, through the forest um yeah 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 how are you impacted is it Man. is it pete or have bands of of you know aboriginal south americans or central americans right like come to overrun midtown like uh yeah. something out of the warriors exactly and like i know when the hurricane showed up and then all of those little lovable teddy bear creatures trapped it with with vines and rocks on strings that uh and knocked out the shield generator and whatnot i think that was a really great moment for all of us really <laughs> triumphant uh. <laughs> that's, the, that's the second Return of the Jedi Ewoks reference that uh, that, I, that I've heard to you uh, in fairly recent uh, history. Um, I, I applaud you for that. Oh, I think it's because Ewoks showed up as a word on Draw Something a bunch of times. So I had to draw a bunch of Ewoks, uh, which, you know, not that hard. Pretty easy to draw an Ewok. Uh, it's one of those things where you get to do a pause and be like, do I want to be creative with this? No, I'm just going to draw, draw the ATAT or ATST. Sorry. <laughs> Apologize, not an ATAT. That would be absurd, right? If you walk fighting ATATs, come on. Um, or as I could say, uh, you know, Disney Corporation ATAT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This wasn't on our on our discussion for uh, for topics for this show, but that happened this week. And this other thing, you know, then something that wasn't the hurricane happened this week. Right, right, right. Exactly. Buying Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, or at least announcing it, right? It's probably going to take a while for everything to close. I would figure, right? But, um, but yeah, that's a big deal, I guess. It's funny because I remember um, I saw a bunch of graphics, infographics on the web that were like sorting who owns what property, almost as if this is like the British Premier League and like the teams are kind of moving up and down and like who's, you know, uh, it's, it's what franchises are you rooting for and trading players back and forth, just sort of the different stories that are owned, this commodification of the stories as they pass from corporation to corporation. And I mean, it, that's that, even that language is sort of unnecessarily uh, – kind of, you know, brassy, like, oh, the corporations own Indiana Jones. Yeah, the corporations made Indiana Jones in the first place. So, uh, uh-huh. yeah, they own Indiana Jones. But which one owns them? I don't know. But, again, yeah, I guess it shows that, that, that uh, the Disney-Marvel merger uh, really worked out well for some people, and so they wanted to do it again, right? So um, that's exciting. I mean, I got to know, guys, what was, your, what was your reaction to the – when you – do you remember where you were – when you heard that Disney owned Monkey Island. Oh, yeah. I was, uh, I was you know, clicking J in Google Reader, you know what I mean, through, like, uh, just a bunch of entertainment news. And I, in kind of my, you know, slack-jawed early morning uh, uh, normal state. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've thought a lot about this recently. And, like, it, it strikes me that Disney has, has moved – from a, a company that like innovates to a company that that expands through acquisition, right? Like that, I, I can't be the 
first guy. I, I'm far from the first guy to notice this, but like from Pixar to Marvel to this, you know, it it seems to kind of acknowledge that there is no the days of the the like Walt Disney, right? Like uh, the sort of genius who's sort of innovating things is over, uh, are over. The days of that are over. And, um, right. And that we like, but we're big enough now and established enough now that we can just pick up the, uh, uh, we can just bring into the fold all the interesting, uh, people and all the interesting, all the interesting properties. Right. So that the studio is not really like a, a maker of anything anymore. That that's all sort of devolved onto the subsidiaries. It's, it's more, a a, um, what is sort of a sort of clearinghouse, uh, right? For to to kind of like centralize certain administrative functions and to kind of share resources efficiently among, uh, uh, you know, among the various subsidiaries. Like one of them being and, uh, Industrial Light and Mag- Magic, right? Which I you know which I heard like talked about like because in analyses of this this move because like part of the ballooning costs of of films you know and especially of like super popular films is uh cgi owning a cgi house um can't be all that bad right yeah oh don't forget the theme park yeah well yeah first of all what kind of world do we live in and i don't mean to indict you with this particularly because i'm totally on board with it but what kind of world do we live in where something like the little mermaid is described as innovation Right, like, like, um, like it, Disney has gone through many periods of, of time over the course of the, the history of the company. Uh, not many, but like a couple of big cycles where you felt like they were being creatively fertile versus they were kind of spinning their wheels. Yeah, clearly right? you have not seen uh, a little film called The Aristocats, Pete Fansel. <laughs> You know, I was actually just going to bring that up as like the Aristocats era. Uh, no, I love the Aristocats actually, and of course, 101 Dalmatians comes from that era too, right? Like, or a little bit later than that era. 101 I Dalmatians guess. adaptation of a book. I don't know if if the Aristocats is an ad- adaptation of a book, right? Oh, so is that what it's concerning you? Whether or not your stories about talking dogs are original enough? Is that- <laughs> <laughs> this was written previously. Well, no, but that, that I mean, I think this actually brings, it brings up an interesting point about the word innovation. Because I do think, to an extent, uh, Little Mermaid is more innovative than Aristocats is, if only because it sort of it drives a business solution more effectively. Like it's it, you know, once you have Little Mermaid, you can market Little Mermaid in a whole bunch of ways that you can't really market the Aristocats. And there's kind of a brand innovation, and there's kind of like a you know, even a sort of identity political innovation that you're using to push product. I mean, I would before we go any further, just. Unpack that a little bit. It, okay. Okay. Little Mermaid is more innovative than Aristocats because it was more effective at at doing the same thing that both were trying to set out to do, or were they trying to the, the, Little Mermaid was more innovative because it was trying to do something different. In a different uh, way. I mean, here's here's what I would say. I mean, and this is my own this is my own perspective on innovation, and maybe you guys have different perspectives on innovation. But there's a temptation to say that that innovation is the making of new things that do cool stuff, and I don't think that's the case. I like to think of innovation as a, in a business sense as when you come up with a new way of either serving a customer need or fulfilling a business function that actually kind of makes a difference for how the company operates and works. Right. So. 
I can come up if I run a comp- if I run a burger joint and I come up with a way for everyone to order their burgers through lasers, right? And they just use a laser. It doesn't matter how they just use a laser to order their burgers, and it doesn't affect the the burger experience all that much. It just happens to have lasers. I would hesitate to call that innovation, right? Like it's. Um, I'm reminded there's there's just a bar. There was a bar in New York City. Um, Mark, I think we went to this place once, maybe, or this might have been before you moved to New York City, where each table had this was like pre iPhone had a console on it that had a video screen on it and had video cameras on it and you could use it to video chat with like <laughs> other tables in the bar right uh, i have not remember I that this the kind of thing but... that like gets gets written up a lot in like time out or whatnot exactly and we went it was cute it was fun i know i went with balinky um but i would just not for, describe it's it for as... like it's for hitting on uh people at other tables right exactly but i wouldn't have described it as innovative Right, because the, the experience of going to the bar is the same. The, I mean, yes, it has this little novelty, but the core business of the bar selling you drinks, right, is, is still working the way that it's supposed to. And it doesn't – and this thing sort of happens and it's new and it's cute and it's fun, but it's not really a game changer. It doesn't really um, change the way the customers interact with your business or the way that the customers get the products and services that they come to pay for. It's just new. Right, uh, and so, so for me, innovation- so wait, you're 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 drawing a distinction between innovation and novelty. Yeah, exactly, and okay. also not just novelty, but also invention. Right, um, and I mean, it doesn't just have to be about customers too. You can have operational innovations too. Like maybe they use those cameras to figure out how to put in your drink orders. You know, then that starts looking more interesting. Where you can also use it to talk to the bartender. And, and then, they, right, okay, like okay. here's this would be right, like they they monitor the level of your drink, and a new one shows up, right, and your credit card is automatically charged for it, whether you want it or not. That's innovation. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I don't like to talk about my job too much, but the one example that we always use at my job to talk about this is um, there's been a huge shift in in behavior. You know, because I work for a bank uh, for people who use ATMs to deposit checks. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a huge shift in behavior. It's exploded by like 10 times. People are much more willing now to deposit checks at ATMs than they used to want to yeah. do. I mean, I myself was hesitant to do that until, say, about, I don't know, five years ago or so. Right. And, and the big innovation that changed this is they installed scanners at the ATMs that can show you a picture of the check after you put it into mm-hmm. the machine. Mm-hmm. And then you can print out an image of that of that image to carry with you and it gives you confidence that the check isn't just going to disappear right that you know that the machine has it and you have either a paper trail if you want it none of the technology involved in this is less than like 30 years old <laughs> right like uh it you know scanners are not tremendously novel the idea of scanning the image of the check and printing it and putting it up on the screen while easier now than it used to be is something you could have done in like 1990 right um but they didn't do it uh the bin and, and as many bells and whistles as you add to the whole atm experience experience, the biggest behavioral change came from finding a way to newly implement this technology from decades ago in a way that changed the way that the business worked. Right. Right. And so when I'm talking about the Little Mermaid versus the Aristocrat, <laughs> um, I mean, look at Matt, – Matt said that, that describe Disney as a clearinghouse, and, and I wouldn't necessarily describe them as a clearinghouse. They're, in, they're, they're about sort of uh, you know, leveraging brand equity. Right, and they're in finding new ways to figure out how to cash in on brand equity, right? right. And merchandising and uh, theme parks. Yeah, merchandising theme parks ways. are big ones. You know, with different television shows and movies, and you know, all, and all this other stuff. The Disney Princesses line is a big one. Like um, the yeah, things that they've been, right, exactly. Yeah, cruise ships. You know, like uh, you know. Um, uh, heavy, you know, uh, rare earth mineral uh, mining operations that are named after 
<laughs> Sebastian the Crab. <laughs> you know, like, oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I do, I do think that uh, the, the, the thriving of the Disney Corporation, certain properties have served it more than others. And those properties that have served the thriving of the Disney Corporation and kind of created new cycles of growth for the company can be thought of as more innovative properties uh, because they change the way that the company regards uh, its sort of story, its, its brand equity, its mission – its relationship with its customers, you know, like, I mean, I guess you could make an Aristocats lunchbox and I'm sure that you, you did, you know, like, and I'm sure people had them. Uh, but I feel like it's a fundamentally different business proposition than a little mermaid lunchbox. And it's hard to quantify exactly why, but do you know what I'm talking about? I, right. But, um, I think because a, a lot of, a lot of the, the story, like the brand story of Disney was connected with Walt Disney, right? Like was connected with the idea that there was this kind of singular genius, you know, uh, Great American storyteller, yeah. Yeah, so master storyteller or something. Or maybe, you know, I don't know, master marketer, right? Like, uh, they're not all that different, I suppose, when it comes down to it. But, but uh, uh, you know, at the center, at the center of it. And, and I guess the, the recent move, right, like, it, it's a move from a sort of great man theory of history to a, I don't know, to a slightly more contingent, right, like uh, slightly more decentralized uh, theory of history where the the value is i mean the value is created in in a lot of a lot of places uh, i mean think 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 yeah think about the ford corporation I mean, sorry, did I interrupt you? Do you want to keep going with that? No, 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 no. I, I wasn't. I was okay. going to go into how Karl Marx was right about capitalism all along, and it tends, <laughs> it, it tends towards monopoly. So it's uh, it's probably good that you interrupted me before I even well, I was going to say the, 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 the archetypical <laughs> example that I would I would point to is the Ford Corporation, right? And Henry Ford, because Henry Ford is a very similar character to Walt Disney, mostly because of their shared anti-Semitism, but also because of the way that they kind of automated, uh, not automated, but hey, um, Ray of the McDonald's Corporation didn't like jews one bit either right uh the american you know america marches on uh jesus um and i never mind um so we you know what we are doing we are crossing sections off the map (laughs) oh man happy anniversary guys (laughs) happy anniversary fourth anniversary i didn't mean to poop all over your point (laughs) no so so you can you can think of the ford corporation or of like you know the edison power companies Right, as products of the singular genius of the person who ran them, um, or you can think of them as secondarily as uh, unjust rewards to the person who ran them who didn't deserve them, or you can think about them tertiarily, and I think most importantly, as what are the people who are working for this company doing? Like, how is the company organizing these people, and what is it making them do for a living? And so, the big difference with the Ford Corporation, the archetypical difference, is the assembly line construction of cars. Right, it's not just that you're making cars. Like, there have been other companies that have made transportation stuff right? it's not that novel and innovative to make a car as opposed to make like a you know skateboard i mean it is it, it is like it is obviously a car is fundamentally different from a skateboard but um the thing that makes ford hugely innovative and different is the way they roll out the assembly line and the way the assembly line works and so when you talk about disney uh i don't necessarily think it's if you want to look at it from this tertiary standpoint the people that you should look at and what uh, and the interesting people are not Disney himself. Yes, like he provides the vision and the leadership and the products, right? And there's a certain amount of invention and then, yes, innovation that's involved in him putting this business out there. But there's a lot of people who are working together to put together these properties, everything from Disneyland to Cinderella, all the way through to the Jungle Book, right? All these animators, all these people organized to make these, these pieces uh, of art, um, 
and to sell them and to market them uh, all up and down the chain, right? All doing their work, all oriented and organized in a certain way. Uh, and I don't have their org chart, so I don't know exactly how it works. Although I do think anyway, well, Disney Interactive is one subdivision now, and then the theme parks are another subdivision, and then the movie-making stuff is another subdivision, licensing, all this other stuff. They haven't made a ton of um, I mean, they haven't made a ton what? of... They haven't made a ton of uh, original movies or like live action movies. What, what was the last Disney? What was the last Disney branded Disney movie that you can think of? I mean, Wreck It Ralph that came out this weekend is the last Disney branded Disney movie that came out. Yeah, but it's not. I mean, it's not a movie in the in the tradition of the in the lineage of the Little Mermaid the way that um, the way that like. Uh, oh, what was the New Orleans one called? Uh, Princess and the Frog. Princess and the Frog was in that was in that tradition, right? Like, yeah, but that's a, that's an old product line, though, right? Like, I mean, yeah, that's a different that's a particular way of looking at Disney. But they've changed. They had to deal with Pixar, right? Like, there was some creative destruction that happened where Pixar ate their lunch, right? Where Pixar just came in and said, "Hey, we're doing this better than you. People like us more than they like you. We're going to make more money than you doing this thing." Right and uh, and you had DreamWorks in there that's like we're also going to do it but in kind of a disposable way with Jack Black and it's going to be hilarious, um, but uh, and Mike Myers and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I mean I don't I don't, I do think that Disney has uh, recovered to a certain extent from the creative destruction of Pixar. I mean, Wreck-It Ralph is the big example. You know, it made forty nine million dollars this weekend. Um, and we would have seen it, too, if we hadn't all been so tired um, from all the various craziness happening this weekend. But I'm trying to – what are some of – I mean, I remember – I think the moment I knew that Disney was kind of moving on was uh, probably when I saw the preview for the movie Bolt. Huh. Do you guys remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh, the John Travolta dog movie. Like, I'm not necessarily saying that movie in and of itself was a great classic or, or like a good – but it showed that Disney qua Disney was going to you know, get into the Pixar business. Right, it was, but not necessarily specifically their business their way. But there was going to be a, a Disney way of doing this sort of entertainment property. Um, you know what I mean? Maybe that was just the first time I realized it. But I mean, what are their other? What are, I mean, what are the other big Disney movies that aren't Pixar movies? Because then, of course, they they bought Pixar, right? That's what they did for for Marvel and what they did for Lucasfilm. Um, Right, yeah. I, I believe John. It's, I believe John Carter of Mars was a was a Disney. Yeah, motion. yeah, that's right. They can boondoggle it with the best of them. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I would hesitate to say they don't make anything new. Um, well, you. But you, I, I, I. So right. So that the, now you've circled around to your original pooping on pooping on my point. But isn't there? I mean, yeah, yeah, in fact, yes. Yeah, I'm wiping now. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> can you just pinch off the turd that you're dropping on on the point that I was trying to make? Um, the. Uh, but uh, you know, then okay, I don't know. Then I you've been trying, I guess, to characterize the shift as you as you would put it, rather than uh, the the way I would put it in sort of you know characteristically grandiose terms, right? Of like what moving from a a, a great a, a company that makes things to a company that owns things, or a, you know to a kind of like late capitalist, right? Like or a post postmodern, you know, sort of organization right like but um but it, how, how would you finally characterize the the change that's that's happened now right rather than like you know walt sitting around saying hey we're gonna make you know snow white i mean not original products it's they've all been adaptations of you know fairy tales and stuff like that um but uh uh you know how would you characterize the the, the difference um you know what i would probably use shaft's big score 
to illustrate it. Naturally. I don't know if you've seen Shaft's Big Score. Uh, that was my, but that one was of, my intro <laughs> economics textbook. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I bring up Shaft's Big Score because it has uh, one, of my, one of my, not favorite, but I have a sub, big soft spot for this. It has a big land, sea, and air chase. Right, where Shaft is like simultaneously being chased by a car, a boat, and like a helicopter, <laughs> as he's, or like is chasing the bad guy, and it's like they're running through the town. Uh, di- the biggest way that that I would say Disney has changed is that they seem to have gone from a company that makes properties and then seeks to profit off the properties to a company that sort of simultaneously engineers the whole up and down the chain you know, media commercial engine. You know, one of the things that they do is that they make movies and they make characters and they license characters, but they have the whole infrastructure in there and it's kind of modular. Like another Disney movie that came out recently that you might not have known was a Disney movie was Frank and Weenie, which came out just a few weeks ago and was very popular. It was a Tim Burton movie, right? Wait, so wait, it's like, was very popular. I think it wasn't just, it or did it, did it fail? I, I, yeah, I think it tanked at the box office. Yeah. I, I must have confused it with Hotel Transylvania in terms of which one was more successful. I think you did. Office. Yes. <laughs> so Frank and Weenie totally bombed. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And Hotel Transylvania made a ton of money. I didn't see either of them, so what do I know? Um, so, but uh, Hotel Transylvania, I had to use that as a counterexample to somebody who was upset about some actor and it never making any movies that made money. It's like, oh, I'm so sad for Adam Sandler, right? Oh, it's so sad that Adam Sandler doesn't make movies that make money anymore, except for Hotel Transylvania, which made a million bazillion dollars. Um, but yeah, but sorry. So, um, so if Disney wants to make a Tim Burton movie, like Frank and Weenie, even if it's unsuccessful, um, they already have the infrastructure in place up and down the chain to set up all of the product placements, to get the licensing done for where it's going to air, both on you know, television and online and in movie theaters. You know, they're going to sign up all the people who work on it. They're going to... Uh, and also, like, they're going to have relationships with vendors that are going to provide the different services they need to put the thing together, right? Like... Uh, I'm sure that it, even everything down to the catering is probably handled by Disney in a particular sort of way, right? Uh, and, I, and I would suspect that strategically it's more um, integrated than it was previously. And that's one of the reasons why they can make these acquisitions and that why there can be an advantage to making those acquisitions. Because it's not just that Disney is gobbling up everything because it wants to have a big market share of your brain, right? It's not just like, oh, I need to own Marvel because I need to own those dreams too, right? Like I own these no, dreams, well, I but I want to own all the honestly, dreams. Honestly, I think it's I, I, I need to own Marvel because we have great brand equity among young girls, but, but not so great among young, young boys. And so we need to, you know what I mean? We need to like own that quadrant also somehow. Yeah. But uh, but if there are we if need there to are go from like Disney Disney Channel Wizards of Waverly Place and and you know and et cetera to like Disney XD and I don't even know what's on Disney XD we canceled cable recently yeah me too um, I mean, we could talk about that if we want <laughs> but no, just just like for there to be efficiencies to make that worth it. Um, then, because I mean, there could be an argument that, well, if you're really good with young girls and you want to get good with young boys, <laughs> however that sounds. Stop! Uh, stop right there, please. Don't even. <laughs> maybe you should. It probably doesn't deserve. Yeah. <laughs> wow, chili peppers. Phrase, one of the phrases. Does, does this just, belong on r slash jail bait? R oh, no, oh. God, no. We don't want to. Oh. <laughs> Can I just terrible. say that I've done? Terrible. I've been on Reddit so much this year relative to previous years, and it's just made me profoundly unhappy. Don't go on Reddit. <laughs> I hate Reddit. Uh, even though I use it every day, I hate Reddit. Um, but uh, no, but um, the phrase that comes to mind is stick to your knitting, 
right? Which is like the business phrase for if you're running a company and you want to be successful and profit running this company, there's a temptation to expand what the company does to do more things so that you can pick up more dollars. But in fact, this is going to have all sorts of unforeseen negative consequences on your efficiency and your leadership and all sorts of other stuff. So stick to your knitting, stick to what you do well, be as good at what you do well as you possibly can. Right, and make sure that you're the best at it, if you can be. So why would Disney even bother buying Marvel if it's awesome with this other stuff? And the answer has to be the way I see it, other than just like they happen to have a balance sheet that you know they have cash and they need to get rid of the cash, is um, they, have other, they have efficiencies that they can do. There are things that the company can do to bring Marvel to market right? that it has already paid for, that it already has. Uh, and so it just buys Marvel so it can plug that into the machine and it can pump that out too. Right. It's not that they want to exploit Marvel. It's that they have this machine that's already going, and, and they just and um, they they know that they can feed it different things, right? Um, and I mean, I guess that does sound exploitative to an extent. But I think it's also like it's more efficient to have one company that's distributing all of these different things than to have different companies that all have different infrastructures that are all differently doing all of these things. You know what I mean? So it doesn't it does mean that maybe content is not king, right? Uh, it does mean that maybe the thing that Disney does that is is more uh, compelling is that they are a media company and not that they are a company like maybe the whole the fact that they are called Disney is kind of distracting perhaps because so many of the other media companies that have similar like cachets have names that are much more alienating right you know like even if it's like, <laughs> yeah right five sure. you know like exactly like Vivendi Universal or like <laughs> Time Warner like, right like, yeah 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 if Disney if Disney was just called like um, you know like what like Eisner Tech. Or something <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, Eisnercom bought it. You know, like, uh, oh, well, that wouldn't that would that wouldn't seem as big of a departure. I think I think the name of Disney kind of is a bit misleading as to what the company does. I, Iger Tech um, now, I suppose. Iger Tech, yeah, yeah, yeah. Iger Tech, uh, and Iger Tech is a wish your heart makes <laughs> when you need a dividend player in your portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> guys, you maybe- wish upon a conglomerate. <laughs> uh, oh. Maybe, maybe we should should leave this behind and move on to the next item on our agenda. <gasps> what? Rather is actually trying to steer the ship as the host. As you're as if you're some sort of pirate in the Caribbean. <laughs> 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 yo ho, yo ho! A price over earnings ratio for me. <laughs> Just remember, not all cursed gold goes up in value; some goes down. <laughs> we rob and embezzle and hijack. Drink up, me hearties, yo ho! <laughs> We're vilified, but our bonuses are big. Drink up, me hearties, yo ho! No, um, the uh, so we guys, guys, we missed. The the four year anniversary of the Overthinking It podcast, we neglected to uh, to commemorate it. I, 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 I wonder if you still love. Yeah. I was going to say we have no women on the podcast, so no one got stereotypically mad at us for missing our anniversary. Um. <laughs> <laughs> part of the problem. Part of the problem. That's me over here. I'm part of the problem. Gender roles on the internet. Uh, I don't uh, even want to publish anything on the internet anymore, guys. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really? what we kind of wanted to talk about. Is like we were like, what's changed in the last four years of doing this podcast? Yeah, and it's yeah. it's the internet has been taken over by 
by by zealots of different stripes. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Not that it wasn't before. So I, I should say that we, um, we began uh, our podcast a long time ago, but we, we began the weekly podcast. Um, we actually began the podcast almost five years ago, but we began the weekly podcast uh, with episode 13, um, crossing sections off the map, and we now have our our four year plus four year and change, I should say, streak of uninterrupted weekly uh, overthinking and podcasting, and um, we should have commemorated uh, our anniversary uh, with episode two twenty one. I actually I don't remember what we were doing for two twenty one. Here we are two twenty seven. Uh, and it just occurred to us, right? Like, and this is this is a uh, this is an indication of how uh, how much our heads were down, and you know, and we were sticking to our knitting, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There really is no right. There really is no sort of thirty to forty thousand foot view, right? Like at the the weekly management meetings of overthinkingit.com. dot uh, com, you know, right? It's it's all extremely tactical. So we've been doing our tactical podcast. Um, and we missed, yeah, we missed the, uh, the four year, uh, the four year anniversary and actually the site, we, we hopefully won't make this mistake with the site's fifth anniversary, which will be January 22nd, uh, 2013. So, um, yeah, what, what has changed in the last, in the last, uh, in the last four years? And I think the, the first answer I think is us, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's changed, you know, right? Because we've sort of moved from being, oh, what (laughs) guys in their twenties? We've gone from boys to men. Yes, we have. (laughs) Motown Philly back again. Hey, hey, yeah. um, (laughs) I think we've gone. I mean, because when I remember when we started this, a lot of the spirit of it was back when I when I still lived in New York, and we. I mean, we this was. I, I've since yeah, I, I moved away from by, New York. Not in New York, yeah. but I lived I lived on the East Coast, right? And like yeah. there was this there was this sort of ferment, right? Like uh, there was this sense that we were all sort of really close uh, close together, and still like a, a, a group of college pals who were actively hanging out. Um, more, more specifically than that, I remember going to movies together and then going to the diner after the movie right. and being really excited about having seen the movie and then talking about the movie for hours and hours. And this was like a huge social uh, bond that we shared and a thing that we did, right? And I mean, I, this, the podcast actually and the site got rolling kind of after that had kind of fallen apart. We'd already changed away from that. So it sort of started nostalgically to right. an extent. It was, right, and it was a way of sort of capturing and kind of staying with something that, you know, we weren't in geographic proximity. Um, and I, I mean, actually, that's when I, you know, I was actually interviewed on a podcast about overthinking it. Um, mm-hmm. On the the Geek Agenda podcast, uh, which is recorded here in in Los Angeles, and they have an actual Matt, studio. Matt, on on as we're selling away our agenda, uh, our our anniversary. You want to talk about how you've been carrying on with other podcasts? No, no, no. You, I, you, I, you I choose talk, this time. To, I talked to, about you, talk about honey. I talked about you nonstop while I was with her. <laughs> 
<laughs> she was pissed off at me. You should be glad. No, um, and uh, one of the questions that, that they had was why our community is, even five years in, um, you know, even after we've been exposed to some, you know, high-profile things on the internet, like, why our community is still so civil. Um, and it's, uh, I think it's because baked into the DNA of the site is the idea that, that we're a group of friends who just really likes talking to one another. Right, like we're a group of men and women who who enjoys uh, one another's contributions, you know, and that, that's in that's somewhere in the DNA, right, of this site. Um, so, uh, so everyone is nice to each other. Yeah, I'm probably full of it, but but no, no. I mean, I, I would add to that that it's it's more than just that, and because I, I think that the spirit that you're talking about, the, the big one of the big issues you have to kind of talk about is is, is money. Right, which is that overthinking? It's never been a commercial venture, really, um, and, and and not just money. I want to step away from money for a second because uh, um, I just stepped towards it. So we're going to do kind of a little square dance thing where we do si do. Um, but one of the Swing things that's kind of happened. Round and round. <laughs> I mean, one of, the, hit the ground. <laughs> one of the one of the things that comes up a lot is people are like, well, why don't you monetize overthinking? And it's like, well, we do monetize overthinking. Do, does we that sell come a variety up a lot? of products. No one, no one, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's such a it's such a relic. It's like, why don't you just do? Why don't you just make money for free off yeah. the thing that you're doing? Why don't you already? Mo- I, yeah, I love that. Like, why don't you flip the monetize switch? Why don't you hit yeah. the money button? Oh, I didn't know that it was there. Oh God, it was uh, buried like three screens deep in WordPress, and I. <laughs> no, to set it. But you could buy our T-shirts. You could buy our overviews. You can. You know, I mean, there's a bunch of different there's ways. A, there's that you a can great make. new overview, which I'll I'll tease at the end of the show. By the way. But the big thing is that I think that people that there's this that the the myth that eyeballs convert to money on the internet is pretty pervasive. Uh, and it isn't. And it certainly is less true now than it was when we started this site. Right, like the 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 economy of of ads online is different. You know, Facebook owns so much more of all of it now. You know, like so much more of it is off of these platforms that aggregate the content. So it's not the idea that you can make a site, put out content, a lot of people are going to come see it, and then those the ads that the people view by seeing your content are going to make money for your site. Like that model is, I don't think that model really works. I mean, maybe it does for some people, but it certainly doesn't, it supports us, but it doesn't drive enough to pay anybody's you know salary or anything like that. But I don't think that the idea has gone away. Well, and I think what us, it's, yeah. I mean, it supports us in the sense that, that the site is self-sustaining yeah, yeah, know, yeah. rather than, which is, you know, which is about what clears the market. I mean, that makes sense. Right, they'll pay you just enough to stay in business. But I think that the reality of it is that people have sort of chased these eyeballs and chased this attention without really much of an eye toward um, why. You know, like, well, why do we want to be seen by more people? Like, why? Because, because, oh, well, because there's this implicit idea that it will lead to, you know, fame and fortune, right? If more people read your website. Um, and obviously, well, more people reading my website is better than fewer people reading my website. But I think that that phenomenon over the last couple of years in particular has really gone through the looking glass. And I sort of see the internet as like a giant school of devouring sharks that just like moves from content item to content item and just destroys it, right? Because it's like, I want the eyeballs. I want the eyeballs. I want the eyeballs, right? And today everybody is over on this site and tomorrow everybody is over on this site. And, and, and this so sort that, of... Uh, right, right. And that, that, that kind of... Uh, engenders an ecosystem where sort of more and more sort of more and more crass and kind of more and more debased, if you will, things have to be done right in order, uh, you know, in order to to motivate all that 
all that attention. Oh yeah, it's and pretty soon, so, you know what I mean. And like pretty soon, someone is peeing in a Snapple bottle at three in the morning at the New York Improv Festival, right? Oh, we've, we're way past that. Like, I've seen that live. <laughs> like, did, did, are you mentioning it because I saw it live last yes. year? Yeah, yeah, and we talked yeah. about it on this podcast, so, exactly, you know. Exactly. But it's even more than that. I, I just think that the fact that people sort of uproot and move around so much and we're so constantly stimulated and agitated and it's like people are fighting for our attention and trying to agitate us so much to look at things. So this whole look at me, look at me, this drumbeat, people are really angry. Like, that to me is the biggest, I mean, I, I, I have a phrase, I, I'm, I'm over all the overthinking it writers, I'm the one most comfortable with flame wars. Uh, you could probably tell if you read the comments to our piracy article, I get a little out of hand myself on the internet. I know I have a problem with internet anger. It's an issue. Uh, you know, it's, it consumes a lot of my time and it doesn't make me happy. Uh, and this is how we've changed because I'm like in my early 30s now and I'm like, I think about what makes me happy, which I didn't used to think about when this <laughs> yeah, Pete, I, I'll, uh, I'll say this though. You, you're funny, right? Which covers a lot of sins, uh, yeah. w- right? With internet anger. Not, you know, oh, not yeah. that, you know, not that, uh, right? Not that I, I don't want to support you, you know, as you get help for your internet anger problem. What, you know, <laughs> whatever, new- whatever. Internet but, uh, rage therapy. Write that book. Write the self-help book about internet rage, and uh, and then you're going to make yourself. Although you'd have to market it to men, and men don't like to buy books, so never mind. Yeah, self-help books much less, <laughs> um, unless exactly. they're like unless they're business books, unless they're like getting things done, right, or something like that. So what you should do is you should write a book trying to scare women into thinking that the men in their lives are are becoming abusive because of internet anger, right. <laughs> and like write uh, yeah, and then like yeah, make them buy. There, there's a there's a self help book, and I don't know why this is a self help book because it's about how other people are sociopathic, uh, but called the sociopath next door. And I remember, you know, uh, five years ago or something when it came out, uh, it was a big. Um, uh, topic of conversation among some coworkers of mine, and who like started going around like labeling other coworkers of ours and and you know mutual acquaintances like socio- uh, sociopaths, right? Like there, you know, there was a great um, uh, a great spike in like sort of you know amateur sociopathy diagnosed by amateurs. So like what the 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 internet sociopath next door, right? Or like the internet sociopath in the bedroom or something? You can yeah, 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 exactly. It's like I lived with a troll is what the book should be called. Um, but it's not that there wasn't trolling back in the day. Like there's always been trolling. But it, it, part, part of how the internet has increasingly become integrated with our, you know, in real life social lives in a lot of ways seems to make – and it also just seems to have ramped up. Like just the velocity of the anger just seems to have ramped up. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's one of the big factors. I, I've ranted about it or not. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Like – yeah, I, yeah, I mean, what you're what you're talking about is actually kind of what the dark side of sort of fortunic discourse, right? Oh yeah, like the only side of fortune. I mean, like not the dark side. Like you know, it's like I don't the know, dark side of fortunic yeah, discourse is child pornography and like finding people and abusing and like beating them up in real life. You know, it's like doxing people is the dark side of fortunic discourse. Like putting on masks and waiting outside of people's churches to yell at them is like the dark side of fortunic discourse. Uh, you know, like uh, you know, hacking various things when hacking isn't actually a real thing and whatnot. You know, like that's the dark side. Um, this is the light side, which is uh, being angry about everything all the time. <laughs> and part of why overthinking it's remained civil is that, I mean, we, our model, when we've been most successful getting content out there, it's been through getting our content out to other people who then disseminate the content. Like, we don't try to pull the sharks in, right? We don't generally say, okay, 
like look at us 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 and because of that like our our traffic is very cyclical you know like oh this this website someone will pick up one of our articles and put it on their website and the sharks will be there right and then we'll get a bunch of people looking at our stuff and the people who stay with us are not necessarily the people who are out to or the sort of the another to use another term from my job like the hot money the people who are here just to buy the thing today and that are not going to be customers of yours in the future right like um we don't we don't keep those people Right? We don't, we don't, we're not like crack, right? Where we're providing you with constant, not that I, I love crack and I think that they're great, but they are, they are really geared towards, you know, keeping that drumbeat going and pulling people in as much as possible to read each and every one of their articles with the result that it gets kind of frenzied and crazy, um, more than we do. I don't know. So yeah, Pete, you talked a lot about, this is taking things in a little bit different direction. We talked about this, like, uh, perceived increase in anger on the internet, yet that one that we are gratefully seemingly uh, uh, sort of shielded from because of the way that we've constructed our community. But um, <clears throat> it, it is certainly worth reminding ourselves of the uh, of one of the reasons why things feel so angry right now is because we're right on the, on the eve of the presidential election and that like the, the discourse oh, has just gone rail, down the toilet, right? <laughs> I mean, I would, I would almost venture to say that we've, we've, we've gone, we've gone, uh, we've gone military industrial complex with our politics at this point. Like, I, I mean, I was sort of waiting for the election season to really ramp up, but it's like, you know, like after World War II, we had this giant mobilized uh, industrial base and this giant mobilized military organization and international intelligence operation. And, like, under some circumstances, it might have been a good thing to kind of wind that stuff down because we're not fighting a war anymore. But then we just decided to always be fighting a war, right? And I don't necessarily – I mean, I I hate to break it to people, but I don't think that the, you know – Two billion dollars that were raised by the various, you know, political service organizations. You know, I don't think that the people who are being paid with that money are going to stop wanting, stop making cases for why they should continue to be paid just because the election is over. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. I mean, what what you're going to have is you're going to have a lot of organizations that were put together and people who are kind of pissed because all of a sudden they're the reason they existed isn't around anymore. But you know, there's still gonna be people there and they can still get money from people. Like but no, you're right that the election is happening, but I don't necessarily think that the end of the election is going to mean that things are necessarily going to get better in terms of people being yelling at each other all the time. You know what I mean? Especially because a lot of the people who are yelling at you are only pretending to be actual people. And you know a lot I mean well that's a good question. There's a question for you. Actual people. Right, like sock puppets, people who are being paid, like people who are really involved activists on things, who kind of sacrifice their own autonomy of identity in order to kind of use their their handle or their profile or what have you as a sounding board for an institutional agenda. Right, like actual people. Um, is is sock puppet a, a technical term? Yeah, yeah, technical yeah. That, that is a thing. Yeah, Matt, you explain what a sock puppet oh, is. I'll well, take like a drink of water. A, you know, suppose I had a. Uh, yeah, you you probably need a drink of water after. You know. <laughs> After that, um, I've started because I have so many uh, podcasts in my podcatcher. I've I've started listening to them at at double speed, and I can't imagine listening to this podcast at double speed because we all seem to talk so fast. Um, sock sock puppeting is when a uh, like a oh the famous example is the CEO of Pete was it Whole Foods or something. Um, 
I, uh, yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I remember this. Right, going on, going on. Uh, I don't know either common threads for blog posts or, or different forums or things like this, pretending to be unaffiliated with the company and then and then essentially like parroting the party line as though it were coming from, you know, a, a, a neutral a neutral thing. But like actual people, like uh, you know, Pete. I think that the thing, the like the scary thing is that we're none of us actual people anymore. You know what I mean? Like we're we're all somehow sticking our hand up our own ass right like to sock puppet um or in the name of these sort of kind of unexamined received ideas uh, uh right like and it's not um you know it's not even it's this kind of like automatic it's this sort of automatic behavior now right like whether it's i don't know i the, uh, I, I mean, probably, so I the, the auto, the, I, we're, I sock puppeting, we're sock puppeting ourselves in a way that's not even in our own interest. A lot of the times as sort of, you know, uh, rage monkeys on the, uh, uh, you know, as Internet sociopaths on the boards. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I, you know, I, I, I like that. I like the sort of uh, the Muppet Ouroboros of like Kermit sticking his own hand up his own butt and like performing himself. Right. Like there's a great example of. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, I mean, we're all performing ourselves. I'm not saying that. Oh, there's an authentic experience that gets us out of the, you know, the the endless spiral of postmodern life. No, there isn't, and all that other stuff. Um, but I, I just, well, I think one of the, the factors <laughs> I think is that it's. Uh, Phenomena, 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 phenomenology again, phenomenology. Um, I think one of the important realizations that happened at some point along the line, and I think for a lot of us in our age group, it happened in 2004, but it probably happened to other people at other points too, which is when you kind of realized that people were using like advanced psychological manipulation and brainwashing tactics like on their friends, right? Like, um, you know, like where it's like, <laughs> where it's like, I'm just going to gaslight you about like John Kerry or about like George Bush. I'm just going to like keep saying things that are not true to break your will, right? Like, and I'm, I'm just going to like it's just the awful um i mean this idea like the the big example and i think i talked about this on the podcast a bunch of years ago of uh source amnesia right this idea that people have discovered through research that if you tell somebody something and they internalize it uh initially they may put it in context but over time the context and memory of the context tends to fade so uh one strategy that you can use is you can impress upon somebody really strongly something that seems false or harmless because of where it comes from but then eventually they'll forget where it comes from and then its teeth will sink in Right. So, and this is like example right. of this. Like, for example, I can say Peter Fenzel is a Muslim as many times as I want. You yeah. Know? Peter Fenzel is Which a Muslim. Which would be great. I mean, I'm not a Muslim, but it would be awesome because halal is delicious. <laughs> uh, and then, and I love those robes. They look so flowing when you, it's like Friday night and it's time to, it's on Eid. I'm going to rock Eid. It's going to be great. It's Ramadan. Fasting is right, tough, but, but, you know, you're. Because of meal. I, I can't have four meals if I'm fasting for Ramadan. <laughs> That's just unreasonable. But anyway, continue. Let's leave Muslim then, Fenzel. You know, tomorrow you're going to be sitting on the tee and you're going to see someone who looks like Pete Fenzel and you're going to, you're going to switch to a different seat, you know, without really knowing why. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think I think that at some point it, you at some point I think a lot of people are forced to 
because uh, it's like if they if you it's a prisoner's dilemma. If you let the other side do this and you don't do this yourself, you're at a huge strategic and tactical disadvantage. Like if you let the people that you don't agree with emotionally abuse you and you don't emotionally abuse them back by trying to convince them of a reality that you frame for them, right? Like uh, then they just win all the time, and that's not acceptable. So eventually, like everybody just defects, right? We lose a lot of the the sort of um, not that not that there was ever a golden age where everybody had a consensus and. A agreed to be civil to one another but like people defect real hard right and you have like friends on the facebook's which I hear is a website that you can go to. I don't use it myself, but you can do it if you like. www.facebook.org, I think is what it is. I'm not sure. Slash the Benzlos a Muslim. Exactly, exactly. Just using their own pictures and their own identities and connections to their friends just to like like tear on people. For And I'm not indicting just conservatives on it. I think it used to be um, – I think that the, Republic, the conservative side figured out how to do it well first. And then, so we associate it, at least as, you know, alpha-eating liberals and whatnot, um, you know, like, uh, we associate it more with conservatives, but now everybody does it. It's a race to the bottom, right? Um, just anger and, and all this other stuff, and, and it's toxic. Um, but yeah, but it's that, like, we do it to our friends. <laughs> we, uh, we four lights each other, right? Um, mm. I don't know. Have you ever been, we should just have a four lights party. That's mm. like the future, right? Is that you get everybody <laughs> together and you just like try to convince people of false propositions and then you drink from like a, uh, an ice luge or something. An egg. Um, no, you, you drink with a little embryonic bird in it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what you do. You make a drink for someone, you tell them it's something that it isn't, and then you keep yelling at them what you say it is until they accept that that's what it is. That is not a a Manhattan. It is an old-fashioned. It is a gin and tonic. (laughs) Pete, I don't think it is a gin and tonic. It is a gin and tonic and called the Federation Embassy. I think it's an (laughs) old-fashioned. We actually, there, there's a there's an interesting uh, discussion on the the overthinking forums going on about about Star Trek. But ra- rather than go down that rat hole, I just refer you to the overthinking it forums at you know overthinking it dot com um, slash forums. I'm not sure we've we've sort of answered our. I, I mean, I f- I feel like we uh, answered our question. I feel like we you know as a. Uh, notoriously civil community, right? As an infamously civil community, I feel like we should leave people with, with, um, I don't know, a li- a sl- on a slightly more hopeful note. Let me let me leave you a positive note here because this is something I've really been thinking about this week, and it was re- specifically in regards to Twitter because Twitter is the social media platform I use primarily. I don't use Facebook; I use Twitter. I use Google Plus a little. Find me in Google Plus. Put me in your circles. Emil from Poland is totally the king of Google Plus, by the way, one of our readers. So you should totally check out his constant posts to Google Plus, which are mostly in Polish but are still awesome. Uh, anyway. Um, uh, so I was reading. I read a lot of Twitter, and I obviously, I, you know, I do improv comedy. I'm, I follow a lot of comedians on Twitter, and it was, it was, it struck me. And I had this epiphany when I was watching uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's Emma on Netflix. Right, uh, I was, as I was watching does. it as one does. Uh, you know, I was like, oh, I'll watch this romantic movie by myself. It'll be awesome. And uh, it, it's not that romantic. It's, that's actually probably mischaracterizing it. It's a romance. It's a romantic comedy. But anyway, that's not important right now. What is important is that I had all these impulses to, like, write snarky, detracting things about Gwyneth Paltrow's Emma on Twitter. And, and it's like, well, why? Right? Like, why would I want to do that? And it's like, well, I'll get attention. People will like it. People will laugh. Um, you know, the, there's like a sense of feeding the beast that comes from it. And it occurs to me so much of the, of the 
there's there's this phenomenon with tweets that I sometimes like to refer to as like the English. Right, and I don't mean the people like who are in Emma. <laughs> like I mean, um, <laughs> like like the way that you sort of uh, when you're talking about an act like a tennis swing, where you, you kind mean of like like the, like the way that the Amish say it. How do the Amish say the, it? The English are are non-Amish. Are anyone? Oh, oh, interesting. No, no, I mean the the phenomenon of like sort of like giving a little bit of extra twist to your arm when you're doing a swinging. Oh, putting English. Like, on put a it. Ling- okay. Yeah, well, and like, so, in, like in billiards, right? Where you? Uh, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. In billiards is the great example, not tennis. Ten, um, but yeah, in billiards, when you put English on a shot, you spin the cue a little bit when you do it. And, and in order to make tweets more interesting, I think people put English on them. Uh, and I think that there's an anxiety about not putting English on your tweets, mostly because tweets without English can sometimes be very boring. But uh, this temptation also leads to unfollow. The easy- unfollow. <laughs> uh, the easiest way to put English on something is to, is to add a little snarky mock right at the end of it or to be like to add some sort of little note of nastiness to the end of it um right and like and so i want to say or of course to add like an egg or add to add something self-deprecating right to be like hey you know i'm i'm watching uh i'm watching uh, lord of the rings for the third time this week no one's ever gonna love me you know like that's a tweet you know like i'm watching lord of the rings for the third time this week isn't a tweet but i'm watching lord of the rings for the third time this week and i'm a virgin is a tweet because it has a little bit of english on the end of it that kind of adds a little bit of extra kick after a little bit of extra eyeball drawing and so the challenge that i want to pose is um, we were all, all of us, we write so much. Everybody on the site, everybody on the internet writes so much. So we should be pretty good at it from practice. The challenge is how do you make Twitter posts, Facebook posts, social media posts, and your everyday life that aren't boring, right? That, that, that sort of are still engaging and they're still interesting and that, that um, you don't feel like are selling yourself short or kind of failing or deliberately constraining your own ideas of your social media success, whatever they may be. You're not wearing, you know, um, you're not wearing training wheels here. You're actually really doing it. You're fully committing yourself to it. But you, 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 you do it in a way that doesn't involve the cheap trick of always being snarky or negative or bad, right? Either to yourself or to others, right? So how do you keep an engaging flow of information uh, you know, an engaging life, a flow of information from yourself, expression of yourself on the internet without relying on this, what I would say is like a rhetorical trick uh, of, of trying to make it, of adding energy and adrenaline to it by adding this negativity. Um, and, and you know what? If you don't, if you're not the person who has negativity, you'll probably be mocked mercilessly for it, right? Like P. Diddy, right? Like P. Diddy, you'll tweet a picture of himself like, yeah, I'm in a helicopter. This is awesome. And it's like, oh, P. Diddy, he's ridiculous. Oh, everybody hates P. Diddy. Um, so it's like, oh, we got to make fun of Kim Kardashian uh, for tweeting that she likes ha- her haircut, right? Um, yeah, but Kim, yes, Kim are- Kardashian, you know, uh, ought to be acquired by the Disney Corporation, right? Like, if she likes her haircut, it's because someone is sponsored, you know, it's like because she's in a... Uh, she's a, a whole, she's a whole owned subsidiary of her mom, so that would have to be kind of a brokered spinoff deal. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean. You, you see, you hear what this challenge is like, and I mean, maybe you guys aren't as uh, as, as sort of anxious about Twitter performance as I am. Um, but it's like we need to develop a form of social media performance of performance of the self of automopatology, right? <laughs> like uh, <laughs> uh, uh, of, 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 of auto What would be the right Greek? Ology would be the study of it. Uh, Automuppetraxis. <laughs> Automuppetraxis. Um, where you perform yourself as a puppet for the amusement of others. Um, but that, 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 
gets away from this this rather at this point I think hopefully starting to get rather a tired rhetorical convention of inciting rage, uh, you know, indulging snark, adding that English all the time, whether it's warranted or not. Not that there aren't times that are warranted. It's totally warranted a lot of the time. Making fun of things is great. But the thing is, like, do you really want to do it as your default thing all the time? And are you maybe over-relying on it a little bit too much? I Well, I oh, God, I have a lot to say about this, but I think we need to wrap for, for now because that's sort of our time for this, uh, for this episode, for our little open mic slot here <laughs> our little weekly our little weekly open mic slot so before but oh god i have a lot to say because i think actually like um you know as a as a sometime as a person who dabbles in materialism i think a lot of that that um what that sort of snarky demagoguery is economically determined but you know that can be another oh story yeah, for, yeah that can be another story for another day um so, oh, hey, I wanted to say we published an overview on the site. Speaking of, we used to um, we used to ask for donations, and maybe that was a purer time. That's something that's changed in the last four years of the Overthinking It podcast. Do you remember when when we used to ask people to to um, uh, uh, you know click on the PayPal button on the site? Actually, there still is a PayPal link on the site. You can donate to the Overthinking It podcast if you want to, and a bunch of awesome people really did some of them quite yeah. generously in a way that was helped us through some tough times really helped us through some tough times yeah and and it was frankly kind of humbling that like uh um you know to, because to us it's a pleasure to sort of hang out with our friends and record our conversations and publish them on the internet but uh you know uh, the fact that we were like bringing enough w- whatever happiness or value or insight or I, I don't even know what we were bringing honestly but but we were bringing something to to people and they put a dollar amount on it a few of them that blew me away but we don't you know we don't ask for that uh we don't ask for that anymore because i you know i a couple years ago we made the transition or maybe a year year and a half ago we made the transition from um to sort of what a more professional or sort of more i feel like we should be giving you something specifically for your money and so we, we the the product that we have now in addition to the you know various kinds of like affiliate things and the the uh uh, you know, T-shirts and stuff like that. The the product you can get now is is the, the overview, right? Which is our um, our attempt to sort of capture uh, through technology that initial impulse of like sitting at the diner right until three in the morning talk, talking about a movie, but doing it doing it uh, during the movie. Um, so we we watch a, a film together and have a conversation about the film as it's going on, and we record that conversation. And you can download it. You can uh, pay one ninety nine to download the track, and it syncs up with the movie. And so if you have your own, you know, DVD or streamed or downloaded or you know, uh, however, um, uh, copy of the movie, uh, we we certainly encourage you to acquire it legally um because we're uh, we're apparently we apparently overthinking it this week came out against piracy apparently that's that's uh something that that we're against um also not exclusively against- there's there was there was some interesting talk on the back channel people have various opinions and it's a complex issue so yeah that's, I'm against it, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is. No, no, certainly it is a, it is a complex issue. Yeah. There were, it's funny. There was a talk on the comments and a parallel talk in the, on the email list, but, but that's interesting. Um, but uh, you hey. can, so you can listen to this, you can download this and listen to this. And we hope that it gives you, uh, we hope that it kind of jazzes you a little bit, like, and like that, like you are 
sort of energized by by listening to a group of your your pals from the internet, the overthinkers, uh, talk about a movie. And so the one that we the one that we have uh, pegged to the release of Skyfall uh, this coming weekend is. Um, uh, for Casino Royale, and it's uh, it's Fenzel, it's Lee, and it's Perich uh, talking about Casino Royale. And so, if you have a, a copy of that film on DVD or or in any medium, um, you can uh, you can download it for for one ninety nine and uh, and listen to it. And we you know we hope you do it. That's that's um, that's the way that that the site is supported. It's a way to support the site, and I, we hope it's also a way to entertain you. So you can get that um, at overthinkingit.com yep. store. Yeah. And one quick thing to, to add, add about that, just to connect us to what I was talking about earlier, um, this is not just some snark fest, right? This is not us, like, yeah. well, actually it all the way through. Um, sir, there are a few moments of that. Um, but we, we it, it is, it's a fun, it is an informative, positive, uh, great way of, of, of engaging with a movie um, in, in the way that we, that we like to do it, and hopefully you like to as well. We're, we're aiming to increase your enjoyment. And like, you know, I don't know, a year ago, maybe at the fourth anniversary, I tried to get everyone to like talk like very seriously about the overthinking at brand. And, you know, no one wanted to because it was a stupid thing of me to ask, I suppose. But no, no, we talked about it. We had some good conversations. We did have, about it. we did have some good conversations. And one of the things that came up is like everything we do ought to increase your enjoyment, right? Of, of the stuff that you enjoy already. And if you, you know, if you don't, please unsubscribe. And I, I want you to do something that's fulfilling to you. You know, I, I want your life. To, <laughs> I want your life to be better. Uh, and if if doing or this tell us also if there's something yeah, sure. Then, yeah. uh, tell uh, you know, tell us. Um, we, we're I I. There's a limit to that too, though, because we're kind of doing our thing. You know what I mean? And like, oh, yeah, we yeah. want to be responsive. We really do want to be responsive to the audience, but we also want to be who we are. So there's that. Uh, that's a balancing act, right? Um, but. Uh, you know, uh, we so these these things should. Um, God, I hope like it would be it would be awesome if your smartest, funniest friends. Uh, and I know because you listen to this podcast that you are uh, in a circle of smart, funny friends. Um, came over and listened to the uh, uh, you know uh, listen to the track and watch the movie, and then you guys went out to the diner until three in the morning. Um, and you know, record your conversation, start your podcast, let a thousand flowers bloom. I don't know. <laughs> Email us. At podcastedoverthinkingit.com. Call 203 285 6401. Another great forum thread, actually, by the way, trying to find a non offensive uh, spelling thing that, the, uh, thing that the phone number spells. Um, I'm afraid there may not be one. So it's uh, for the moment 203 285 6401, or leave a comment on the show notes for this episode about, oh, about what you would like more of. Actually, this is something I'd like to see more in the comments. Uh, so I want to put the challenge out there um, specifically. Answer, I, w- I would like all the overthinkers, not just the podcasters, but all the overthinkers the world over to answer the question of the week. So if you want to come do that in the comments, that would be awesome. What would you like? one more of uh what would you like to say about the disney lucasfilm merger uh what do you have to say about uh, us uh you know commemorating four years and embarking on the fifth year of the overthinking it podcast what do you think about the rise of anger um on the internet don't get angry when you tell us i'm just saying uh you can do that all on the show notes the overview can be bought from overthinkingit.com slash store and until the next podcast you can find more articles and entertainment to make your life better and a little bit nicer 
at www.overthinkingit.com, the site where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't doesn't deserve. street last night and she seemed so glad to see me and i just smiled and we talked about some old times and we drank ourselves some beers still crazy after all these years harvey uh this is this is matt rather i get still crazy after all the yes matt what's up i I get accused of doing you uh all all the time oh do you really (laughs) that's not what i meant harvey oh you saucy wench you